Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, joining me is the founder of Hopskit Media, Amit Cabra. She is a good friend of my company, good friend of mine. Her company works closely with mine. I'm excited to invite her to the show. So, Amit, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I'm very excited to be here. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Well, let's start off for those who you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, haven't seen Amit, or for those listening that haven't heard of Amit, let's just kind of break it down. Run us through your kind of backstory, your business story to date what you specialize in, and then we'll hop into a couple questions. Yeah. So my story kind of starts like 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. So I was 19, was in university for business administration with a minor in entrepreneurial leadership, took a couple macro microeconomic classes and realized that I hated it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do like the second, third, possibly fourth level of this. Like there's just no way. So then I started looking at where the most credits transferred over and it was the marketing diploma or degree or whatever it was. So that's basically how I chose marketing. And then we had this one class, it was like literally three hours about online marketing. So e-com, content, social, web dev, SEO, ads, analytics, all jam-packed in a three-hour class, which I genuinely have no idea how that professor did it, knowing what I know now about the industry really at this point. And for some reason, something in the ads and analytics side of things kind of sparked an interest. And I think it might have been like the fact that there was an exam that everybody had to kind of go through to kind of at that time, we had thought that that was how we prove how we do like we know how to do ads really at that point. So I, I think that was kind of really the draw for me. So when I started my first company at 19, in event planning, I decided that I wanted to try to sell tickets using ads just for the kick of it. And I think I was spending maybe about like 250 a month, like barely anything. And I, three years later, I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was like, this, I'm kind of done with it. And um, moved from British Columbia to Alberta and started a career in pay-per-click just very randomly. Somebody sent out an email and was like, you have the exact skill set that we're looking for. And I just went, okay, and just showed up to an office without doing any background information, like work or research or anything. And turned out that it was a legitimate company, uh, thankfully. And I basically went from spending what would have been like, what, 3k a year to 4.3 million, essentially what felt like overnight. And that really kind of helped me kind of get on the path that I'm on now. So yeah, that's kind of like the background story, I guess. And okay, so you go from that company, right? And then mm -hmm. you then lead to starting your own PPC consulting firm. Walk me through, I guess. Yeah, walk me through what it's like to one, go out on your own now and say, okay, I'm going to do this, you know, not just for one company, but for a bunch. And then two, follow it up with, with that moment of like, okay, I now want to build a business and, you know, have more analysts and things like that. What were those stages like going from marketer to entrepreneur, right? And taking that kind of shift. I feel like I've always had that personality for like business ownership. And even like when I was in high school, like I literally was the one voted most likely to like rule the world or like buy a McDonald's and completely like just destroy everybody. And all of my friends were like, you're just going to be that person who owns a business. And I never really took that seriously. And even when I started that company at 19, I never took it seriously. Like I never really thought about it. I it was just something that I did. Somebody told me that they thought I couldn't do it and I had to prove them wrong. So when the agency kind of came up, it was almost like I fell into it a little bit. Like I've always known that I would end up owning a business. I just never knew what it would be really mm -hmm. at this point. 
So when I ended up leaving, so after that job, I ended up leaving and went to an agency for about a year and kind of rounded up my skills a little bit more and kind of understood what, how agencies work. And then in between that time is when I started freelancing. And that's when I started realizing that there was actually more people who needed people like me who are a bit more honest and a bit more transparent, where I would see the agency only want to talk about billable hours and call it a day. And for some reason, like that just never really like sat well for me. Because for me, I'm like, I'd rather just charge you a flat rate. If we work the hours, we work the hours. If we don't, we don't. Like, that's it really at this point, as long as like, really, at this point, I feel like people should be paying for the results and not necessarily for the time spent on the account. So I figured that that was a better pricing model. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. So I think that was kind of like, the point of where I actually started considering something for myself in terms of like owning an agency and a business was a moment of realization that like, I could do better really at this point. So right. then everything else kind of just I did everything else just kind of fell into place for me. So even when I was thinking about like growing the agency, it wasn't a deliberate effort. It just kind of almost like the universe provided for me in a way, like I just kind of thought about it. And then suddenly it just started coming through. And it was just perfect timing, really, at this point where all the friends that I had made at the agency and all the friends that I had met at meetups and all of this other stuff had left all their jobs to go for more senior positions. And then they were looking for new vendors. And obviously, they went for their friend versus like somebody that they didn't know. And then suddenly, I have an agency. So it was a lot of the pre work that I had done that I didn't realize I was doing, like that networking and stuff like that. And then eventually, that just kind of like morphed into an agency. And now, like my efforts are obviously a bit more geared towards scaling. But like that first little bit was kind of luck, honestly. Yeah, it's interesting. The effect of building a network of people who are maybe, you know, they're your peers, and then they continue on the corporate track, and then they eventually become decision makers, and they have that trust with you. So then they go to pick you. Now, for those listening, right, there's gonna be a lot of CMOs listening from all sizes of companies. Walk me through, I guess, the different ways that agency paid media agencies get paid, right? There's like, is it billable and then like a percentage of budget or just pay per performance? Like where, because you know, you said that like the first agency was just all about like hours, clocking hours, et cetera. I guess one, like, are those the only three ways that people get paid? And then two, is there one you think that's the most beneficial to both you, the agency and the client? Oh gosh, this, I feel like that's probably the hot topic debate in the industry because like there's no hard and fast way of us actually determining how we should be billing. Everybody just kind of goes at it however they feel really at this point. And even like we'll have conversations about it where we'll be like, let's see if we could try to figure out a way to standardize it so that way it's a little bit easier for newer agencies to price themselves out. And every single time we just end up in a massive argument. So then it just kind of goes to the wayside. So there's some people who strictly work off of percentages. And that can range from anywhere between like 8% to about 20%. I've seen agencies do up to about 32 at some point. Wow. So it really depends on who you're working with. So you could do percentages, you could do a flat retainer, some could start depending on what you're spending as low as like $500 and can go as high as a couple thousand really depending on how much you're spending. Then there's a hybrid model of doing a small retainer fee and then charging a percentage and usually for that, I think the max usually sits around about 15%, starts around eight. And then there's the hourly. So there's a couple that really love hourly and they sell their clients on literally just the hour. And that works really, really well for them. So then for them, the logic is, we'll just try like charge a much higher hourly fee. And then yeah. we're just basically selling out those hours. So if I buy one hour for $500, my contractor might spend four hours on the account that might be, I don't know, like let's say $150. Now I'm able to figure out like, how much profit kind of comes out of that a little bit easier. I'm not a 
big fan of the hourly side of things because then it's kind of one of those moments where like you know that notion of like I learned all this stuff over the last 10 years I should be paid for the last 10 yeah. years yeah, the hourly thing is interesting because the better you get at your job, the less you make, right? Yeah. But that's why you have to jack up the price. I, I will say it's something though, I totally get, I get clients hesitation with percentages only because I think about it in terms of like real estate, right? Where if someone's selling you a $100 million house, they're not paying a 6% commission, right? Yeah. They're not going to do that. They're going to cap. They're going to be like, no, we're doing some sort of like 1% plus a fee or something, right? Yeah. And I think about it in the agency model, with looking at myself where I'm like, okay, performance is probably what's well, the lowest risk to client if we did some sort of like, we'll take X amount of what's sold. However, that's a lot of risk to the agency, especially when you're putting it in the control of now Google and Meta mm-hmm. to do that. And it's also an attribution mess, right? Where it starts to be like, are we just going off last click or what? So that's that part where I'm like, okay, performance solely doesn't really, I think philosophically it works. I don't think technologically it works um, yeah, and then you have to consider the client on the other end of it so when i was working at the agency there was a plumbing client i believe it was who was paying per performance and i think i can't remember quite what the deal was but i think it was like for every call that they had sent in i think they were getting like five dollars or something let's say but once the campaign gets to a point where it's like really really doing well obviously the client isn't going to want to pay out the two three four thousand dollars that you're you're owed really at this point, right? Even if we have the tracking in place and they've agreed to it, eventually at one point they're going to look at it and be like, okay, well, we could just take this back yep. and run it ourselves and we don't have to pay this agency. So it's a little murky on the performance side of things. And then I think a lot of agencies, what they end up doing is saying that they own the account on the performance side of things. So that way, if the client wanted to leave, they couldn't take the account with them. I think that's what I would do if I was going to start an agency in paid paid that that was my model. And let's say it was moving companies and I was just going to sell leads, essentially going to be a lead seller to moving companies. I would make a website that drive all the traffic to my website. And then I would just have a deal where I sell the leads opposed to being the agency, you know, because then it starts being if I have the accounts control of all the accounts, but it's under, you know, an existing brand that starts to feel a bit murky. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm with you. I think the billable hours is not the move. I mean, we'll give full transparency to the audience. You know, we work with a meets company on a lot of things. So what we've settled on, at least internally, is a lot of flat rate, right? Mm-hmm. Where we've been like, okay, it's a flat rate. However, that's up to a certain spend threshold. And if you need, because that covers a certain amount of labor internally. And then if you get past that, and let's say, hey, let's say you're spending... 50k and then you jump to spending 100k. Okay, we need another person involved. That's going to, you know, affect the flat rate substantially, but I see, you know, multiple points on that where people are like, if I'm spending an extra 1000 bucks, why do I have to pay more in fees or and then hours start to be I started my business doing billable hours, like SEO consulting mm-hmm. and the amount of nitpicking I got back. Would you do this hour, this mm-hmm. hour? Oh, and it's like, yeah, I had to spend an hour researching the problem. Like I'm working for you. I don't have the answers. It's not like I just open the computer and I start going. Yeah. So I found that to be an issue. Now I'm like, I'm all in on kind of the flat fee of just, it's the easiest to understand. Yeah. If it takes an hour, it takes an hour. If it takes 20, it takes 20. That's my bad. On, yeah. uh, and we've on had those projects thing. come in. We'll quote on projects and be like, here's a reporting thing. It might take us five hours. And then suddenly we realize that there was a, like one factor that we didn't consider I'm not going to build a client for it. That was my own like mess up really at that point. So I like the flat retainer model because then it kind of comes just back down to me where it's just like, well, how do I 
make my time more efficient? Do I have like one of my contractors or my staff members do it? Or do I have, am I the person to do it? Does that make the most logical sense? Like you kind of really have to look at it from that standpoint, but then at the very least you have like some kind of like SOP in place for all of it, because then you could be like, well, if projects are over $10,000 or something along those lines, then maybe a meet is the person to be looking at it. But if it's lower, then maybe we'll pass it off to the other analyst or something and then have like me take a look at it later. And that way we're able to kind of make sure that our margins, because we're business owners, we have to consider our margins really right at this point. That's an interesting evolution. I actually heard this the other day. I agree with it is when you go in to step in and build your own business. So anyone listening, you go build your own marketing consulting firm. Let's say it's graphic design, SEO, social, paid, whatever it is, you know, passion and passion for your marketing expertise will make it a full-time thing for you, right? So in the agency world, that I think passion can get you to, let's say, 300 grand in billables, right? Of Just purely, I am so passionate about PPC or social, great, I can get to that. But really to scale past that, you now have to become passionate about business mm-hmm. and falling in love with business fundamentals and this idea of like, how do I manage my staff? What type of healthcare do I give them? Okay, what are our margins? Are we profitable on every project? How are we selecting the right clients, not just taking whatever falls in our lap? And that next evolution of business owner, right? Where when you're starting in this land and going into, you know, starting your own business, marketing, shit, I was I would take any client that came knocking. I would do anything. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, lights on, keep lights on, keep lights on. Yeah. And now it's been a fundamental shift to go, all right, does this client align with values? <laughs> Two, are they in a position to grow and spend, yeah. right? Because we, I mean, you and I have come across a couple of those where we're like, uh, we get off the call and we're like, yeah, this client this is not a fit. You know what I mean? They're going to be gone in like a month. So I guess I want to talk a little bit about that, right? In your, you know, building of this PPC agency and what have you, do you have any written rules or just kind of like gut feel now on t- what clients are going to be a good fit for your business, which aren't? How do you take that in? Yeah, we've started evaluating everything by industry really at this point. I feel like industries really have the same personality type, if that makes sense. Yep. So there's certain industries where like we we would really have to vet them and be like, this is actually something that we actually really want to work in versus just taking it. Just because we know that like at one point or another, that type of client might not want to pay. That type of client will be asking us what tasks we've been working on. And I don't report that way. And that's just how I've always been. I don't like being micromanaged. That's why corporate work never really worked for me. So it's kind of interesting being in the position where I am the boss in a way, because like people will call me thinking that like I will side with them, like as if my team means nothing to me. And I'm just like, it's almost really funny just to see their reactions because I was like, no, that person did exactly what they're supposed to do. You're wrong. And the, the, it's like a moment of them taking a step back going, what just <laughs> happened? Yeah. So I can usually kind of snuff out who those people are to a certain degree, just based off of like behavior and even word usage, which is actually kind of interesting. And it's just like the weirdest, like I think my marketing experience has really let me figure out people a little bit better just because you sit there and you're writing ads and you're like, if I use this word, what is like, the notion of like, what notion is that person going to take from that and stuff like that. So then when I listen to people speaking, I pick up on words. And a lot of people find that so strange, but I'm like, they use this one particular word, why would they use it? Right? Like, obviously, it was like, right at the top of their head, they use it very often, but like, there's a reason for it. 
And that's how I've been able to predict like the most random stuff, like businesses closing, relationships ending just by like one word. So that's kind of what I end up using in terms of like just trying to figure out if clients are going to be a good fit after outside of the industry side of things. So usually we have a director who does all the sales calls and then he'll come back and like let me know about everybody and I'll listen to him and be like, okay, well, what did they say for X, Y, Z answer for, you know, like whatever question. And then we'll sit there and go back and forth until I'm like, okay, they sound like they're okay and kind of go from there. And so far it hasn't been too bad. The ones that I haven't like second, like double vetted are the ones that tend to be a little bit of a problem. Uh, so it's kind of one of those moments where I'm like, okay, we're figuring it out, which is perfect. But there's uh, some progress that needs to be made on our end as well. It's interesting because when we look at those, I always think, is this person a poor communicator or have limited vocabulary? Or are they an asshole, right? Or are they using that in a context that isn't good? I remember we were on a call, so story time for listening, but Amit and I were on a call you know, with someone who will remain unnamed. And anyways, they started talking down to one of their team members on the call and all of these things. And then we were after the call, we're like, uh, what was that? You know, and it's like, okay, that's if it's that's how they're treating their team, it's going to be indicative of how this relationship's eventually going to go, you know, if we sign them on. So sometimes it's not even the business or the fundamentals of that, the creative, what have you. It's like, there's just one person on the client side who's literally a roadblock to success and you can see it. And then that person gets removed and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, the team starts to flourish. The ads start to work. Things start moving. And I'm like, oh man, this like middle manager stuff is crazy to see these people come in and like half control freak, half like busy work thing that they're doing. And it's just wild. And then you're like, oh, that person gets removed and suddenly, you know, accounts start to flourish. It's pretty amazing how many people stand in their own way and don't even realize it. And then they're constantly going, like, I don't see it as much as a failure. But I feel like a lot of people would use that word. And they'll sit there and be like, I failed, or I'm not doing as well as I should be. But I'm like, the moment you just step back a little bit, like, everything just gets better. Like, even for when I started hiring people, I would never take a day off. And I still kind of am that person. But I just like, I can't like, I, it's just I need to work. But before it was more control freaky, where I was like, I, I need to be here because everybody needs me. Uh, and then there was a three week period last year that like two of my brothers and a close friend got married and it was like literally one after the other. So like at that point, like I was obsolete for three weeks. I had to tr- trust that the team was going to take over and, and do what they needed to do. And I think that was a really great moment for me just to be sit there and be like, no, you guys are capable. You can kind of go ahead and do it. And that was kind of my moment of being like, I'm, st- I'm in my own way. Um, right. So having that, like being forced to do it was what helped me. So sometimes it's that notion of just maybe take a week off, see what happens. Maybe your team might actually do way better without you around. And that might actually, like, I mean, it's going to hurt a little bit because you're just like, well, damn. But like, at the end of the day, did we not start businesses to eventually walk away from them? Right. It's ego, right? It's one of these things I believe in giving people, getting out of their way once they have a clear directive, right? If Mm -hmm. they don't have the directive and just get out of their way, it's going to be a shit show. But if we have the directive and then get out of the way, you know, then I think things can flourish. I do want to pivot a little bit to a couple questions. One, where do you see companies going wrong with paid media? Or is there a consistent mistake or idea that companies, you know, maybe those of us, you know, who don't live in that world, what are some ideas or myths, I guess, that clients have or other marketing departments, you know, may have about paid media? and kind of dispel some of those for the people. 
Yeah, I think the first one is like the SEO against PPC argument. So PPC, the way that I like to describe it is PPC is much more of a short term tactic. SEO is a long term tactic. One or the other is not better than the other. One is not worse than the other. Like it's they're literally just two separate facets of digital marketing. But the one thing is, is that a lot for a really long time, I feel like PPCs and SEOs were kind of pitted against each other to a certain degree when really in reality, we should be best friends. Like I have search query data, you have the same exact from the organic side of things, we should be using that that stuff together and actually try to amplify both of our efforts on both sides, especially if like, let's say I don't rank for digital agency or something like that. And I want to, well, I know that SEO is going to take a little while, I'm going to invest my time into SEO. But in the short term, I'm going to use paid ads to show up for digital ad or digital agency. And that's going to help like it's not and a lot of people seem to think that that it's a waste of money. But I don't believe so. Because if we really look at like past studies that have been done, 32% of the conversions that come from when you turn off ads and come from organic are missing. So if you're getting 100 leads a month, that's 32 leads that you've just lost because you just seem to think that paid ads don't do anything. Because a lot of people don't scroll down anymore. And especially when we're on our mobile devices, we're not going to be scrolling into different pages or even further than maybe listing number five. So we have to really remember those moments of like, we have to be at the top. And especially with all this talk about a recession coming, it's almost like you're cutting off your hand to save your foot, which is something like a potential client had said to us earlier today, where he was like, it's interesting because, you know, the marketing budget has been slashed and everybody goes, oh, sales are going to go down. Sales are going to go down. But the moment you slash your marketing budget, of course, sales are going to go down. Like you're not getting in front of new people. So then how are you supposed to continue like your continue growing or even get back to it? Right. I've thought about it. It's interesting. I've thought about SEO and PPC is kind of like PPC is hunting and SEO is farming and you need both to. That could work too. Yeah. Right. And, and what I mean by that is hunters have to go out and hunt a boar and bring it back to the village and like, if you don't go out and hunt, you don't get it, right? If you don't go spend, you don't get it. Where farming, I can go, I can water the crops, I take the rest of the day off, maybe the crops grow later, right? And there's a couple things out of this. I think with this, uh, just a baseline strategy too, what you're talking about, if there's some long tail queries, oh, you can have on the SEO side, you can go build that content, work with the paid team to answer said queries exactly. And that content's gonna be so much better than anything else displayed against the other ads. You're gonna get the click, your likelihood of conversion is gonna be higher etc. Right. So one, but that speaks to, I guess, or kind of talks, highlights a bigger issue. And that is agencies playing nice in the sandbox or departments playing nice in the sandbox, which I feel like is this big guy. People just get their egos up and they lose sight of the fact that we're all on the same team and they want to get that sale or that monthly qualified lead, you know, attributed to their department. And and that's something that I think the marketing leader in the organization has to kind of like be like, hey, we're not living on by last click attribution. It's a metric. It's not the metric, you know, at least that's my belief. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you should be really looking at like the path to conversion more because like really, if, you, if we're looking at just like statistics alone, somebody needs to see a brand seven times before they even consider. And that number might actually be higher now, maybe even up to like 13. So like, to sit here and say that paid ads is the whole reason as to why you got that conversion would be incredibly silly of me to say. And that's never something that I would ever try to claim anyway, even as like an analyst, because I, I know that there's organic, there's direct, there's referrals, there's social media. Chances are somebody saw us a couple of times and then eventually 
was looking for, let's say that that mortgage or whatever it is. And then they happen to end up on our site, but like, they're not going to convert on that first try either. They're likely going to come back eventually at some point as well. After they've done a little bit more research, they've looked at who they want to go with. So I think that notion of sitting here and being like one channel is the reason as to why we got that conversion is a little. Well, I think why people have this notion that one channel is the conversion is because for 10 years, you know, pre iOS 14, you could just turn a profit on e-com stores with targeting. And then iOS 14 happened and we found out people who built on rent and land and didn't have a brand in behind anything, they're fucked. Like it was just one of those things where they were completely screwed and you saw so many e-com brands just fall apart. So I definitely think taking that approach to, hey, making sure we're building on not only our paid channels, but what are we doing from a PR standpoint, an organic standpoint? Is our website functioning well? Is our product good? Do we have a customer follow-up system in place? Like there are so many facets and parts to the marketing marketing that I think can go and fall by the wayside sometimes. And then we just like expect paid media to save us or expect some you know, some TikToks to save us. And it's like, at the end of the day, this fundamentals got to be locked in. Yeah. And I also, it's kind of, I use the Instagram outage from like a year and a half ago as a great example. Cause like we have this notion that Facebook, Google, Bing, Yahoo, all of these ad platforms are going to be here forever. We actually have no guarantee. Instagram went down for six hours one day. There's a millions upon millions of influencers who had no idea what to do. Because like, that is their sole channel. And that is literally where they make their money. And for six hours, they couldn't work. And like, that's an incredible, like, admittedly, in the grand scheme of things, six hours of a break is pretty amazing. But like, imagine if that was for six weeks, what does your business do? Or if you you get banned, right? Yeah. Like, that's one of those things, like, we've gone on and got access, we've been hired before our companies, we go in and we find out, oh, what were you doing before you were doing something? And now your account is banned from meta. Okay. Are there other channels? Have we been building anywhere else? So I think about that on like owned attention versus earned attention. And if you can actually get traffic to your website, if you can actually have an email list, those types of things. And people could argue like that's rented land too, because you're paying GoDaddy. Yeah, sure. I'm not going to buy into that. But I definitely think like meta can just change. Hey, ads now cost double tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing we can do about it. So I we definitely- Wake up tomorrow think, morning and Google might not even be there. Yeah. We don't like have that guarantee. 100%. Well, now that Bing bought uh, chat, or what is it? Chat GPT and OpenAI. Oh so we'll see what happens with that. But that's that's another episode. Amit, thank you. I think we'll wrap this up. Uh, thanks for coming on. Let people know if they want to find you online, where should they go? What's the best place to connect with you? I would say there's two good places. So the first would be our website. So hopskipmedia.com. Uh, you can learn more about what we do. There's some great resources in terms of blogs and downloads as well. If you're a digital marketer that wants to just learn more. And then I also think my Instagram account is actually a really great place to learn more about PPC. So that's AdWords Girl. And then if any other social platform is literally AdWords Girl as well. So if you're welcome to find me on those ones, but I don't really do a lot outside of Instagram really at this point, which is Interesting because I was just talking about how like <laughs> losing your channel is not a good idea, but like I just don't have the energy to invest more time into other platforms right now. But Instagram's been doing relatively well for me, so you can kind of find me there and, and learn more about PVC. There you go, you got it. Head over to Instagram at AdWords Girl, mm-hmm. and then also HopSkipMedia.com. Go check them out. I will put links to both those in the show notes page. Amit, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan.
All right, everybody, that's it. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Please hammer that like, subscribe, share, whatever platform you're on. If you do one of those things, it helps us out a ton. I will catch you on the next episode. Bye.